Why don't we grab our Bibles? We're going to turn to Acts chapter 23. We're continuing our series, trying to bring this year that we've spent in the book of Acts to a conclusion. And before we do anything else, I'm going to pray for our time this morning. Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the God who never fails. You're the God who never forsakes those whom you've called, you've loved, you've demonstrated forever the greatness of who you are and your commitment to us. And I pray, Lord, in the midst of ever-increasing noise and chaos and just the stuff of life, that this morning we would hear your heartbeat. Just still the voices, quiet in our hearts. May there be clarity from anything that might distract us from spending this time in your presence. We want to incline our ear, as your word so often encourages us. He who has an ear, let him hear. May we be a listening people. May we be an attentive people. May we be ever a seeking people. For you are the one that we need this day and tomorrow and for each and every day through the highs and lows, wherever the journey takes us till that day that we stand before you in glory. Come, Lord Jesus, we honor your name. Come and minister to us this morning, we pray. In your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we're in this passage of the book of Acts, and Adam kind of set the scene for us last Sunday. And this is the large theme, really, from uh, this point onwards to conclusion. And it's a part of the book of Acts that we can have this tendency at times to skip over. Paul's in prison, and he's been in uh, Jerusalem, and then Caesarea, and then eventually to Rome. And in total, we're talking about somewhere in the ballpark of the better part of a decade, from one prison to another, and there's some shipwrecks and snake bites and other adventures in there. But largely, he's under arrest, he's in chains, he's in various prisons for the majority of this particular portion. And so it's a bit of a change of pace from a narrative that's often fast-moving and action-packed, and really the, the dominant theme in the text is these accounts of Paul giving testimony before governors and rulers and this slow journey that unfolds, taking him eventually to Rome. So it's a change of pace to read, but certainly it's a change of place, a pace for Paul. Just think about this. It was in the 10 years prior to this that he had traveled the, no, the known world of the time, if you like, the, the world around where he was at least three times over. He'd been on the move. He'd been on the go. He'd been preaching and proclaiming the gospel and not just preaching. We saw a few weeks ago his uh, two years spent in Ephesus during this incredible revival and the work of the Lord in the midst of his people. Not only was he preaching, but he was working a day job and we believe possibly a night job. He's working in the mornings. He's preaching the gospel three, four hours a day in the middle of the day in the heat of the sun. He's working again. It's hot, sweaty work. And not just a part-time job, it says that he preached and he worked every day for two years. Like, this is a, a triple-A personality sort of guy. And he goes from this 10 years of incredibly, if you like, fruitful, active ministry to 10 years largely sitting in a prison cell. Just put
put yourself in his shoes. What's going through his mind? What, what is it do you think that he's wrestling through? And Adam, last week, he picked up a few of these great themes that we find in this portion of the book of Acts. And I want to bring us to one more this morning. Just in the midst of this season, there's many, many others, but one thing in particular that's on my heart. Let's read that account with that backdrop in Acts 23. Verse 11, it says this, and the context here is Paul's been brought before the council, he's uh, had a a threat and an uprising trying to take him out, and he's currently in in the barracks, in chains, in prison. It says, chapter 23, verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him. Just, Just think of that phrase. I love this description of Luke. It says, the following night, the midst of all that's going on. It says, the Lord stood by him. In fact, this is probably what Paul was referring to in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. He says this to Timothy, his spiritual son in the faith. He says, there was nobody who stood with me. Everybody deserted me. May not be charged against them. Verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and encouraged me. What a picture of God that is. It says, God himself stood by me. And encouraged him. He came alongside him with no other agenda, not to teach him necessarily, not to lead or guide, just to encourage his heart. And I want to encourage us that there is a God, that he is a God who stands by his people. He is a God, whether it's in the the midst of the fiery furnace, as three young men stood there because they refused to bow to the idol, refused to to worship the king, and in the midst of that fiery furnace, who turns up? The Lord beside him. There's another in the fire, they said. Not necessarily to do anything else other than to demonstrate that he's the God who says, you're not walking through this alone, that I will be with you. Or the two disciples, an account I love, walking to Emmaus, defeated, discouraged, the Lord had At that stage, he'd been crucified. They weren't aware yet that he'd been resurrected, risen from the dead. And they're walking in the midst of their discouragement. And Jesus turns up for the purpose of just hanging out with them for a day. As they walk towards Emmaus, he teaches them. He gives them a Bible lesson from Scripture. And it's not till the end of the day as we read the account. As he breaks bread, all of a sudden, there's this awareness. He was with us all the time. He was walking alongside us. Didn't our hearts burn within us, they said, as the Lord himself came to walk alongside them. This is a wonderful picture of God. He is a God who stands beside his people. Whatever we're going through, whatever we will go through, there is a God who is standing with us. Amen? So it says, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said this, take courage. See, I think Paul was in need of some courage, some encouragement. Even Paul, as the rest of us do at many different points along the journey, we're in need of encouragement. And so he comes, God comes and says, take courage, be of good cheer, some translations say, be encouraged. For as you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, which is where he's just been, there's a journey to come, but we'll end up, he says, 
in Jerusalem, uh, in Rome, so you must also testify, he says, in Rome. So the Lord turns up, he comes alongside him, he encourages him, he says, be of good cheer, be encouraged, I'm with you and there's a purpose here and I'm walking through this with you. See, it's an interesting picture because elsewhere we've read the mighty deliverance of the Lord, haven't we? The Lord's turned up in these kind of circumstances before you. There's been moments where he turns up and the chains fall off and the ground is shaken. There's been moments where the angel you know, leads out his people and the, the prison doors open. There's moments when God comes in power and leads his people out. And there's moments when God comes alongside and he said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to lead you through. Now, we all want the out, don't we? That's what we're praying for, Lord. We want your deliverance. Give me that moment. Let the ground shake. Let the chains fall off. Let the prison doors open. There's nothing wrong with praying and seeking the Lord for those moments. But I want to encourage us that God has a purpose in these moments too. The coming alongside to encourage our hearts. Not with a going out moment, but with a moment of saying, I'm here. And there's a purpose in the midst of this. And here's what we're doing. We're walking through this together in the same way that you've testified, I'm going to call you to testify even as we head towards Rome. This is where I want to land this morning. I know I'm giving you up front where we're headed. But see, there's this great irony in this picture, and yet for me it is a great encouragement for each and every one of us, that in what looked like the darkest, most difficult, in some ways the least productive in the natural season. Here's Paul, the great apostle, the man who traveled the world three times over, and he's stuck in chains in a prison cell. Things couldn't look any more bleak in the natural. And yet the irony and the encouragement is that what looked like a season of little and lack and despair actually became the season of the greatest and the most lasting fruit. And we're going to get there. So there's a little sneak preview. Hang with me. But before we do, I want you to grab your Bibles and go to one other passage in first, first, there's only one, in the, the letter of Paul to the Philippians, chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. What I want us to hear is Paul's own perspective on this particular season that he's in now. Philippians was actually written a few years later. It wasn't in the barracks. It wasn't in Caesarea. It was... In, he was in imprisonment in Rome, so possibly up to three, five years later from the account we just read of the Lord meeting Paul as he begins this decade worth of chains and challenge and difficulty. And this is what Paul's learnt, this is what he's hanging on to in the midst of the season that he found himself in. He writes this epistle of joy in the midst of a prison cell. I just love this picture. It's what he says in chapter 1. Look at a couple of passages, verse 12, first of all. He says this, up front, after the opening Thanksgiving and prayer. He says, I want you to know, brothers, this is forefront in his mind. I want you to know my brothers, my brethren, people that he loved and cared for. He says that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It doesn't look like in the natural that there's been a lot of of fruit or impact, if you like, for the gospel, for the kingdom of God. But he says, actually, I want, you, I want you to know that what's happened now, some five years down the track, has actually advanced the gospel. 
God's going to use me. There's going to be fruitfulness that will come from this season or he's going to call me home. While there's breath in my lungs, there is purpose, regardless of what the circumstances around me may indicate. And so I want to ask us a few questions. Here's the first question. In the midst of the, the season, circumstance around us, and I know we're not in chains, we're not in prison, so to speak, but there's a bit of stuff happening around. And the first question is this, what are you seeing? What is your perspective? What is it that your eyes and your attention are drawn to? Because I've found increasingly in the midst of the season, you say, hey, what's going on? What, what are you seeing? You know, there's a long list of some of the problems around us. And we don't need to deny the problems. There's, there's some challenges around. You know, people might say, well, we've got the pandemic and it's increasing in Europe and we're never going to get out of this season. It's been two years. We're going to be here in 200 years still you know, trying to get past this current season. Well, there's the, the politics that are just reaching fever pitch. There's this issue. There's that issue. That's another issue. But I want to challenge us this morning and encourage us and stir our hearts that there is a capacity for us to look past some of those things. It doesn't matter what the season looks like in the natural. It's what Paul, I believe, is trying to say to the Philippians. Hey, it looks bad and it looks bleak, but God's at work. It's given just a couple of examples. The gospel's getting preached. People are getting bolder. And here's what I've recognized is it doesn't matter what happens now or in the future. If God has called me and kept me here in this place at this time, then there is fruitful labor. He has a purpose. He has a call. And there is fruitfulness that he is desiring to bring forth in the midst of my life. Now, you might say, well, you know, that's just, just a bit of a, a self-help kind of moment of Paul talking things up. But see, this wasn't just wishful thinking of Paul. That's what I love about this account and this portion of the book of Acts. It wasn't just some throwaway line. There's a reality and a weight because it was during these seasons that Paul wrote most of the New Testament. This book, Philippians, was written as he was in chains in Roman imprisonment. Now, just look at the fruit of Paul's writings. If, if you write something, if you're, if you're into Instagram or blogging or whatever it might be, if someone's reading your post in 10 minutes, then you know you probably said something that's actually grabbing people's attention. If someone's reading your work, your, your books, whatever it might be in a generation, then you'd say, well, they were a pretty impacting, prominent author. What about someone whose words were penned 2,000 years ago and they're still read and held up as holding the very inspiration of the eternal God by billions of people 2,000 years after they were penned? You'd have to say that's a pretty radical example of extraordinary fruitfulness. Extraordinary fruitfulness. How did it come? From a high season in Paul's life, from some, it came from the deep, dark depths of a prison cell. And so, but before you think, well, that's just, that's just Paul. You know, that, that, that doesn't necessarily apply to us. Let me remind you of John 15, 16. I love this passage. 
passage and this invitation from the Lord. Jesus says this, you did not choose me. Like, don't ever make this mistake of thinking somehow this is all your idea. I decided to follow Jesus. This is me. I'm doing him a favor, kind of signing up to his camp. This whole story of salvation is his story of choosing us. Of a God who stepped in to humanity to rescue and redeem and save. He chose us. It says, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. You've been chosen to be fruitful. Not fruity. Fruity's fine. That's all right. That might have been a fruitiness, but fruitful. You've been chosen and appointed to have a life that bears fruit. In fact, it goes on in that passage, and it says, By this is the Lord glorified that you bear much fruit. That word much means much. Not like the lemon trees in my little backyard that I celebrate if there's a little shriveled sort of yellow-looking fruit object that grows. It's a moment of celebration. I'm talking great fruitfulness. In fact, it was probably six or seven years ago, we were preaching through the book of Philippians. You think the book of Acts sermon series has been long? We spent a year looking at the book of Philippians, verse by verse. It was wonderfully glorious. But I remember when we hit this particular passage and I was pondering and just thinking through, what does this fruitfulness look like? And that particular day must have been a similar time of the year to now because I had this trailer load of green waste and I rocked up at the, the green waste tip center to empty the trailer. And up next to me pulled this big, large truck, like a decent sized truck with a, a tip tray. It tipped up and then out, couldn't, couldn't believe it, out of the back of the truck just came all of these branches of lemon trees. Like laden fruit, big juicy lemons, just pouring out hundreds, thousands, I don't know how many, how many lemons there were. And if, if you're local to the area, you'll know you get these prolific lemon trees in our climate. It's probably the one thing that can actually grow, not at my place, but at some other people's houses, is these enormous fruitful lemon trees. And I said to the guy, I said, where's, where's all this coming from? Thinking it was a, an orchard or something that had got rid of some lemon trees. He said, oh, we're just doing a, a big extension at a, a local house in town. And they had to clear out some of the trees. He said, this is not even half of it. Like, we've got trucks worth of, of lemons to, uh, to try and get rid of. And so I grabbed a bootful and came home. My wife said, where'd you get the lemons? I said, I just picked them up at the rubbish dump. You know? <laughs> they were really good lemons. They were. But the Lord encouraged my heart in the midst of the moment and said, you know, this is the picture of fruitfulness that we're put on this planet. There's, there's, there's not, regardless of circumstances, this is not the, the motto and the mandate of the Christian. That here we are, we're just put on this planet to struggle for Jesus. Like it's just one struggle to the next. It's this blow and that blow. And I guess that's my, my lot in life is to come and just be an example of suffering. I'm, I'm the Job. Like, just, just Job me up. And I don't think you ever want to make that confession, by the way. But there is trials. There is. There is tribulation. Let's, let's not avoid any of that. This is not some happy clappy avoid all of the problems around us. But what I want to encourage us is there is a picture. This is the, the calling of God on your life. As Paul proclaims... Not when he's in the high point of ministry, not when he's preaching and multitudes are saved and saved and there's miracles, but he's proclaiming in the midst of a prison cell, 
He's saying, this is what I know about God. He's called me to fruitfulness. And regardless of what the circumstances are, regardless of what's happening around me, he's with me, and as I trust him and step forward, there will be fruitfulness. And what a testimony there is as we see the account of his life and fruitfulness that endures some 2,000 years later from that season of his life. Fruitful labor, he says. And this is what I love about the example. See, it's not in the way that he necessarily thought. I kind of wonder, we don't have any specific insight in scriptures into how it was that Paul began writing. But most of his, his letters are, of course, dictated. Other people actually physically penned them. There's some that he says he signed with his own hand. But the majority, he was dictating. And so he, he wasn't someone who we believe set out to be a famous writer. That wasn't his intention. Luke sets out intentionally to write. He's like, this is my calling, just to pen things down, to, to write a detailed account. Paul was a preacher. And yet the area that God used him in, in terms of his greatest, most lasting fruit and fruitfulness, was not in the way that he thought, and it was also not in the place that he would have imagined. If you'd asked Paul at the beginning of his ministry, where is it that you think you'd have your greatest impact in ministry? I can guarantee you wouldn't say, well, it's probably going to be when I'm stuck in prison, in chains. That's probably, absolutely not. And yet this is a wonderful picture of the kingdom. It is. Just grab a hold of this. Only in the kingdom, the prison can become a place of his promise and purpose. Only in the kingdom can the seasons of greatest darkness and discouragement become the places of his greatest purpose and destiny. It's a little bit like even with fruitfulness, it begins with a seed, doesn't it? A seed that's planted down in, in deep darkness. And yet in the midst of that place is where great fruitfulness begins. There's something about this birthing of greater creativity and inspiration of, of good ideas and God ideas that happen in the midst of difficult and challenging seasons. I want to land at this one, Al. If you want to come play, that would be great. Because I, I know there has been some challenges around. I know some people have been, been doing fantastically this year, and that's great. Praise God. Um, most of us are probably somewhere in the middle. Like, a, if I'm perfectly honest, there's been some things that were wonderful about the past season when we began the second lockdown, which was a proper lockdown for us because the first lockdown we were renovating the church and it was ridiculously busy, it was frenetic activity, whereas the lockdown this year was, we're at home. And we began at home, I thought, this is, this is fantastic, it's like my dream, to get paid to just hang out at home, to get into some of those jobs around the farm that I've uh, n never had time to do, to hang out with the family and kids. And it was funny, it, it, it was great, I was like, this is amazing, it's fantastic, I built a shed and you know, did all sorts of things around the property and was very productive. And it's funny, as, as time went on, particularly towards the end of that lockdown period, it became a bit of a, a struggle. And I was like, <sighs> spending some time with the Lord at, at one particular point, right towards the end, I'm like, Lord, what, what is it? What is it that's going on for me? Like, what, what is it that there's just something that's not right? And I think the, the picture he showed me is um, 
In that house, if you ever come over, my lovely, beautiful wife, who's playing keys for us and leading worship, um, she, she loves candles. She's got these candles all the way through the house, and I've gotten myself in trouble, so if you're at my house, ne- never do this, but you don't blow out the candles. I'm not quite sure why. That's, that's a very bad thing to do. Instead, you put a little lid over the top, and it slowly suffocates out the oxygen. All the candle people are nodding. Everyone else is like, are you serious? Is that actually a thing? Apparently it's a thing. The candle purists, it's a thing. It's the lid. It's the lid. Don't blow it. Make a mess, and you get in trouble. And of course, as you put the lid on, it slowly starves the oxygen, and then you see the flame just flicker a little bit, and then eventually it just fades out and it dies. And I felt like the Lord saying that's a bit like, it was for me personally, but I feel it's for us too, that it's a season where it's like the oxygen has just been removed for some of us in terms of dreams and visions and purpose and and fruitfulness. And, and, And as I was in that moment with the Lord, this is what he really stirred my heart in. He said to me, it's a word to me, but I want to apply it to us. He just challenged me and said, Andrew, it's time to start dreaming again. That was exactly his phrase, which was for me, and I knew exactly what he said in that moment. That there's been something about this season that's just caused dreams to die. It's caused vision. So it's in Scripture. It says that without vision, the people perish. And so what I believe God is doing this morning is he's restoring vision. He's breathing again that breath of oxygen. He's causing what seems like prisons in the natural to become places of his purpose. What seems like darkness that's become stifling to become places of great destiny and kingdom purpose. It's actually in those moments as the seed is planted in the ground that great creativity, great fruitfulness can come forth. You and I have been called and appointed not just to survive this season, but go on to the next season. There's a little, little internet meme again I came across this week and said, being an adult is like saying the phrase, oh, it'll be better next week, every week for the rest of your life. We're just going to get through this week and then it'll be better. It'll be less busy. It'll be... And I believe God wants us to catch a hold of this sense of his vision in the midst of the season that we're in. I just want you to close your eyes. I want to ask you this. What is it that for you is that, that prison cell? What is it that is that thing that is just constricting you? Maybe for some of us it's a health issue. Maybe it's a, a difficult divorce. Maybe it's problems at work and challenges. Maybe it's just the prevailing tide around us. And this morning, this is what I feel strongly for each and every one of us, that God wants to come and stand beside you. He wants to come and encourage you. He wants to step into that place right with you, the midst of the the flames and the trials and the fire in the midst of the disappointment and discouragement. He wants to stand alongside us and bring encouragement. Bring encouragement. 
Not necessarily an encouragement that says, hey, I'm here, the chains are falling off, the doors are opening. If he wants to do that, praise God, that's fantastic. But I I believe it's a season, and for many of us, he wants to come alongside us and say, we're not going out, but we're going through. And not just going through in a way that just, just grin and bear it, just put up with it, grit your teeth, I'll see you on the other side. But he's saying, actually, this is a place of great fruitfulness. Is this a place of his provision? This is a place of his power. That the prison would become a place of his promise. That the discouragement and darkness would become a place of greater destiny where he does things far beyond what we could imagine. Where there's a a bursting forth of great fruitfulness for the glory of his name. So Father, I want to pray for us this morning, each and every person that's here. And I pray, Lord, that there would be that sense of the God who comes to stand beside us. That very night, the Lord stood beside. May that be our proclamation that very morning. God himself came and stood beside me in the midst of the prison, the midst of the problem, in the midst of the the bad health report, in the midst of the dysfunctional relationships, in the midst of the struggles and the discouragement and the disappointment. There he was. There he was. He was right there beside me. I pray for your encouragement. I pray for fresh courage this morning, Lord, to rise in the hearts of your people. And Lord, I, I pray as well, the second prayer is this, that for any of us here who feel a little bit like the, the flame, the candle with the, the little cap on, the, the oxygen of, of just life and, and purpose has grown dim or maybe it's completely faded out, that Lord, this would be a morning and a moment, just of the fresh breath of heaven to blow upon your people to fan into flame again that sense of vision, that sense of purpose, that sense of fruitfulness. Thank you that your word proclaims, Lord, you've chosen us. You have appointed us to bear fruit. And may each and every one of us, like the Apostle Paul, come to that place where we too can proclaim. I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. But here's my certainty in the midst that there is a life of great faithfulness and fruitfulness as I trust in Him. Until the day He calls me home, there's work for me to do. And I pray for fresh ignition, for fresh dreams, for good ideas, for God ideas, of that person that we need to contact, of the way that we need to navigate through, of solution to the business problem that we're struggling with. Whatever it is that we need in this season, may it be a season that is marked with a great fruitfulness that brings glory to your name, King Jesus. We pray that. Faith together. Amen.